This podcast is brought to you by Media 8. Welcome to Off the Cuff with Kel, conversations from the front line, a podcast and live show for survivors and the leaders who support them. I'm your host, Kelly Humphreys, a survivor of child sexual abuse, advocate, author, speaker, ambassador, a lover of all things outdoors with over 15 years of law enforcement experience. Please support me in my mission to break cycles of abuse and trauma. You can help by donating to my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. Hello guys and welcome to Off The Cuff with Cal. We've got an interesting background happening. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> All right, we can, we, can, we can handle the flowers. Um. <laughs> oh. It's it's Why more not? it's more like um the greenery. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Oh, hang on, hang on. No. Where did it come from? <laughs> We're going good, people. We're going good. <laughs> Welcome to off the cuff. We're going to just make sure that um the flowers are, are, are not an addition for today's episode. <laughs> Um, I've got the amazing Christy McVeigh with me today. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We're just... We're... If you're listening to the recorded podcast version, we've, we've got a technical uh, issue with flowers floating in the background of our live episode, which um, is, is actually quite pretty, but um, not what I was yes. expecting. But um, uh, we're here, guys, and I'm very excited. Um to have Christy with me because she's actually uh, been very helpful uh, with Off the Cuff with Kel, being in the background and supporting. So while we're here, thank you for uh, your advocacy and your work and continually showing up. Um, you're just an amazing lady. So I'm very excited to have you come on and uh, actually be a guest this time instead of <laughs> like jumping yeah. around. <laughs> so thank I'll you. Thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, I love I love what you're doing with your podcast and with your show. It's just, it's awesome. It's exactly what we need, and um, and I loved being part of the back background because I learned so much from people that I hadn't met before. So thank you for that. Oh, it's great. It's great. So guys, we're going to have a pretty um, in depth conversation, and it's something I'm really passionate about talking, and that's grooming. Um, and the reason I asked Christy to jump on for this episode is because she's been a detective in um, child abuse in Western Australia um, and now doing her own advocacy work, which is just so important. So I thought between my experience and Christy, we could have a really powerful conversation around grooming, the red flags, things to look for. And if you're a parent watching tonight, like this stuff is gold. This stuff is gold. So we will be talking about child abuse. You may be triggered. Some things might uh, be difficult to hear um, because we will be talking about themes around child sexual abuse. So, Christy, I'd love to just hand over to you and if you can just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, that would be fantastic. Sure. So I guess my uh, story starts way back before my before I even became a police officer. So when my daughter was nine months old, I saw a, an ad in the paper looking for female officers and uh, I thought I could do that. But the funny thing is, is you've met me, I'm five foot one and uh, I'm, so I'm not very tall and, but I had, had it in my mind that I wanted to like help the community. So I became a police officer. My daughter was two years old, but once I became a police officer, my blinkers were blown off 
And I didn't realise how much child sexual abuse there was in the community. So uh, fast forward to a year into the job, I was a probationary constable and I got I was in a remote community similar to you, went, went bush. And um, I got a, they, they asked around if anyone would be interested in becoming a specialist child interviewer and I put my hand up again. Uh, and so I was trained as a specialist child interviewer to interview children who had been sexually abused, physically abused, um, and get their evidence for court. So it's a special training both in, uh, in most states and territories in Australia. And so when I did that training, again, I was absolutely shocked, beyond shocked. Uh, I remember calling my husband, and I had a three-year-old at that time, calling my husband and going, oh, I don't know how we're ever going to trust anyone again because obviously the point is is that, you know, we're there to learn uh, about what is child sexual abuse, who does it, um, you know, the red flags are warning signs. But I had no idea up until that. I had some idea because for a year I'd been, you know, out in the community helping, but I had no idea. And, and so that led me to um, become a child abuse detective or a detective, which then focused on child abuse. And towards the end of my career, um, so I was in the West Australian Police for 10 years, 10 years and one day. Um, and I was in the, that one day matters. Um, and I was in the police, yeah. Um, and so I was in the police, and and towards the end of my career, I was interviewing children, investigating investigating their child sexual abuse cases, um, managing their uh, managing their their cases, and then interviewing their the offenders. And then uh, also, I was part of the team that managed the child sex offenders that were released from prison. So. That was towards the end of my career before I retired in 2020. And since then, I've written a book about my experiences. It's called Operation Kids Safe, A Detective's Guide to Child Abuse Prevention. <laughs> um, and it was just because when I was in the police and I was interviewing these children and I was seeing the same types of uh, abuse happen over and over and over again, I, and I kept thinking, why, doesn't pe why don't people know this stuff? Like, why can't they see what I see? But when I look through the lens of now, I, I realise that unless you're exposed to it, you don't know. And so I wanted to write about it and I wanted to share that information with parents. And then uh, so now I go on, since releasing the book over a year ago, I've, I've gone on to um, educate, talk in front of, you know, present to, to conferences and groups um, and just continue to educate people, adults, parents, communities about child sexual abuse. Yeah. Yeah, and you do a great job. You, you ended up on the Today Show as well, like you're a, bit, a little bit into The Sunrise, actually. I haven't been on to Today Show oh, yet. Oh, sorry, I got that wrong. <laughs> I was one of them. <laughs> if Today Show is listening, I would love to have a chat. <laughs> Me too, mate. Let's both go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that's – so, yeah, I just, you know, like I, I – I guess in this space, someone has to, you know, there's so much more advocacy and people talking about it now, which is fantastic. But when I first started in the job, and I'm sure you can relate, Kel, there, we weren't talking about it. And, no. you know, there, there wasn't the people talking about it. And what we're seeing now is that because we are talking about it, we're seeing more disclosures, we're seeing more adults coming forward, we're seeing more children, you know, and ultimately that's going to really... Uh, that's going to end up with more people being safer, more children being safe. Yeah. I think the thing I noticed, and I've done 16 years and I only just resigned, obviously, this year, um, is the lack of, I guess it's more about victim support. Like, 
uh, and I guess that real intrinsic knowledge of what a victim survivor needs. So not just an adult, but a child as well. Um, and, you know, it's so layered, particularly when there's that betrayal trauma and we're talking about that, you know, familial abuse or abuse where the um, person is known to the child. And we know, Christy, it's what, 89% um, of, of abusers uh, are known to the child. So Yeah, so 89 to 90%, I reckon it's probably higher, but then, you know, I'm not in that direct space anymore. But, you know, I for every, you know, 100 interviews I did maybe two of them were strangers you know like they're always it's always someone known to the child whether it be a family member like it's you know predominantly family close family extended family friends neighbors coaches teachers etc you know it's it's someone known to the child or introduced to the child so you know it's not strangers no and that's the, and that's the thing and I find that it's all it's it's exactly what you said in the beginning how do i ever trust another person again right and we know typically it's men um but we're not picking on men because there are females yeah. in this too but they're notoriously underrepresented in reporting so um it's actually a bit higher Correct. than most of us think and the role according to research that women play um is more like an enabler i guess when they're feeling yes threatened or coerced by uh, the male perpetrator, they don't feel like they've got anywhere to go. So they actually facilitate the abuse or know Correct. that it's happening and stay silent about it. Um, and I I struggle with that, but I also can understand uh, and that leads us into grooming because that's that's what happens. It's, it's that coercive control, which, and, and I've been kind of writing about this, particularly in my research, but also... Um, Christy, as you know, I'm creating my Foundations for Freedom course for survivors of child sexual abuse. And so we're going right into grooming. Um, and it's that whole uh, cognitive dissonance that we talk about. So if you don't know what cognitive yeah. dissonance is, it's that part that's really confusing when you know somebody. Um, and it's very confusing because you know what's happening is wrong, but the person who is perpetrating that act is somebody you know you like and you trust and when and Christy you could probably elaborate on this but when that child then ends up disclosing or talking about this to police uh, or law yep. enforcement or trying to report even to you know child safety or school guidance officers that cognitive dissonance part is very difficult and it's very confusing for a child to talk about yeah well if you think about the the role of a, like what grooming does is it it enables and eases the pathway to abuse so you know we see grooming in domestic violence we see grooming in um, child sexual abuse online abuse we see it in you know friendships and relationships where if some it's it's where one person wants to something and they use and abuse the other person but there's a process it's you know six stages we we break it down into six stages and um you know grooming and and it doesn't just happen to the child it happens to the family members it happens to the friends it happens to co-workers in the case of the the daycare worker that you know abused those 91 children it happens to you know and there's a lot of gaslighting and a lot of lying and a lot of all this you know this ammunition that they have that they can use against people and um and it, it can sometimes make you feel like you're the crazy one because you know something's not right and you know that something's going on but you actually 
you're not sure because they're, they're, you know, there's so much going on in the background. Um, I think if we want to talk about grooming, you know, in the, in the grooming that I saw, it was always about um, finding the, and it's not that they're, I don't believe this, but it's finding a person or a child that is vulnerable, a family that is vulnerable. You know, they might have a, a um, you know, they might not have anyone that they can talk to or their relationships in their family are breaking down or there's a, you know, there's a relationship, um, you know, the family has split up or there's divorce or there's illness or there's something going on in that family and so that child's vulnerable and that family's vulnerable and so a um, child sex offender or a groomer or a predator will groom the child uh, and groom the family and target a victim which is that you know a, a vulnerable child and then they will go on to gain that trust of that family mm-hmm. gain that trust of that child you know and I know this is hard for especially for you Kel because you know you've spoken very uh, openly about your experiences you know they gain that trust by doing things for that child t- building them up making them feel special you know you're my special girl or boy or you know you no one else understands you like I do and then they go on to then um, you know that builds a connection with them you know you, you can always come to me talk to me for you know you know your parents are busy your parents are sick your parents are, don't understand you like I do mm-hmm. um, and then the next part is isolating them from their friends and support network and in fact I saw a case recently or I spoke to a family member recently where the groomer had you know had been treating the the, the victim very well like you know was they got special treatment they got special trips and the other child the the child that they weren't grooming they treated them really poorly and they were very mean and bullied that child it was almost like they were trying to isolate both children so that they couldn't support each other and then went on to and when and that the groomer went on to bully the uh, and badmouth the, the the other child to the parents so that it it isolated the the child that that he wasn't abusing from everyone and it isolated this child from everyone mm. and they Is went you, on to do that yeah yeah we, um you you might have noticed last week we had the amazing john rouse um on, yep. on off the cuff with kel and he's just it was amazing our house yeah um, and he, he just reminded me as you were talking about targeting, um, John had mentioned about dating apps and um, in and you hit on a really important point is they find that vulnerable family and use that. And it's actually, well, it's actually given me something to think about too, um, to <laughs> unravel for my own little story there. But um, I, I, you're totally right because a single mom with children who's looking for a new partner is very vulnerable. Uh, yep. and, and there's a lot of women who get targeted through those dating apps by perpetrators um, who actually are just trying to groom the parent in order to access the child. So, um, and they do yep. that for purpose. So that that is actually something to be uh, mindful of. But when you're talking about targeting, and I talk to my survivors about this, Chrissy, as you know, um, is I think personally, uh, you know, a lot of us are so wounded still because of how kind and loving and caring we are. And I really believe perpetrators use that principle of reciprocity, right? They they use mm. the fact that we're so caring and loving and then we're just, you've got these beautiful angel children, like these beautiful glowing children that are so kind and loving and they just want to please people and make everybody happy. Yep. That's who they are. And perpetrators target those really vulnerable kids because they know 
right? That if they give them special things and they do nice things for them, that child's going to feel like they have to give it back, right? Yes. So it's a really intrinsically fucked up. <laughs> it's a fucked up manipulative way to take these beautiful bright lights and basically manipulate and yeah. them. And I find that to be the most tragic part of grooming, the most tragic part of child abuse is, mm. is that taking that beautiful vulnerability, which is actually a beautiful strength and a gift and a, and a loving quality and yep. manipulating it for their own gain. Um, and this is why we need to... <laughs> This is why we need to be so careful who we trust around our children. And I get, I have, I get criticised for saying we can't trust, we can't trust people with our kids because, um, and and I'm not saying. And believe me, when I was first in the, when I was first become a specialist child interviewer, I was like, everyone is not allowed near my daughter. But as I've gotten through and I've learned. You know, but you you just have to have your guard up. You have to have your a radar up because, you know, ninety percent of child up. sexual abuses, <laughs> and trust you got ninety percent of child sexual abuse is done by someone known to your child. So they're going to be someone that you have introduced into their life, most likely. And it's not but, your, and and again, perpetrators. Yes, it's not your fault. Yeah, that's what it's I was going to say. That's why we. Yeah, it's not your fault. That's why you have to be on guard and. Um, that's why, you know, uh, and this is one of the things that I want to to reiterate is that this is why we need to have this awareness because by being aware we can be empowered, we can help our children um, and be empowered and aware because the thing is is we're not targeting people, we're tar targeting behaviours. There's certain behaviours we need to watch out for. It's not the people. It doesn't, you know, there's there's safe and unsafe things and there's, um, appropriate and inappropriate if we teach our children these things and we'll get on to teaching what we need to teach to them but you know when it comes to grooming you know when they target a victim they gain their trust they isolate them then they normalize inappropriate behavior aka they sexualize them through sharing of pornography um, talking about sex you know talking especially when young children are getting to an age where they're starting to you know, go through puberty and starting to, um, you know, it's part of part of growing up, right? But, you know, certain people or certain um, groomers and abusers will use that to enable their abuse as well. So mm. it's just identifying what's appropriate and inappropriate and safe and unsafe and, and also helping your children identify that stuff. And I was just going to add too because there's this whole introducing secrecy which comes into that as well. Um, but it's it's really about making sure that those boundaries are really solid um, if you're a parent or whatever because that, that's something and it's really difficult when um, the perpetrator's in the family or, mm. you know, but for myself, for myself, for example, it was my uncle, um, but he was so close to our family, you wouldn't have known that storybook time was part of grooming, right? So um, he spent a lot of time with us doing things that we loved, um, but, you know, in well, that's the, that's the purpose. That's right. That's right. And and in, in hindsight, there, there was lots of red flags when we go through it. And if you're interested, um, one of my very early episodes, even I think maybe number two, I interviewed my mother in a first ever conversation. It was so powerful. Um, and we do talk about the grooming process. And there's a bit of stuff about how my mum felt about that. So if you're a parent whose child has been abused, 
I really encourage you to have a listen to that conversation um, because, mm. you know, they do spend a long time grooming the people around the child uh, and making up a lot of stuff, making up a lot of shit to justify their behaviour. And it's really hard for you to pick that out. And so if you're holding self-blame and guilt, I just want to... I want to take that off your shoulders and say it's not your fault. Um, if you had no idea about it and you're like, fuck, I should have known, I should have done this, I should have done that, as long as you're not enabling and you're not helping this to happen, it's not your fault, okay? So forgive yep. yourself for not knowing because these perpetrators, they know what they're doing. They're cunning, manipulative. They they know what they're doing in order to get what they want. Um like all this research I'm doing, and, and I've known this, it was a police officer, Christy, you will know this, online there are books for perpetrators on how to abuse children, how to do it so there's yeah. no signs, how to do it so you don't get caught, how to, like, abuse a child and not, should, like, so there's no physical actual signs so you can abuse a child safely, okay? There are instruction manuals for perpetrators online. On the dark web, you can find that stuff. Okay, so they know yeah. what they are doing. They know how to do this stuff. Okay, so you must have your radar up. You really, really. Yeah, and to add to that, they coach each other on the dark web. They're helping they each do. other. But, but, you know, one of the last jobs I had before I actually res, uh, retired was um, of, a, of a father down here um, where I live, and he was uh, on the dark web asking for advice on how to groom and abuse his children so that they would like what he was doing and I know that's hard to hear but that's the actual reality and it was only because somewhat I th like some task force like task force Argos picked up on it that he was picked up before he did any harm to his children so you know the thing is is that yes um yeah this is what we're this is the reality of it this is why we're talking about it but there's so much stuff we can do like yeah. there is so much stuff we can do and that's what I focus my attention on because uh, otherwise I would be rocking in the corner, you know, pulling my hair out. Me too, mate. Oh, I've got not much any. I had a haircut today so there's not much hair to pull anymore but <laughs> it doesn't take long to grow. <laughs> um, I think yeah. like on this note, like so the last part of, of grooming is control. So there's, there's actually, well, sometimes people will talk about five steps, sometimes there's six, sometimes there's seven. It depends who you are as to how you define the grooming process it's not lineal it can happen really fast you should know that online it can happen within minutes um all it takes is for a perpetrator to know uh a little bit about your child and if you're putting all this stuff online they can very very quickly do that um and you know the ace the australian center to counter child exploitation will there's a lot of research on there, and the Think You Know website has got heaps of information for parents, um, but they talk about things like sextortion, um, and online offending, cyberbullying, all that sort of stuff, but uh, you need to know that grooming can happen really quickly, and there are things that you can do to uh, prevent that and to stay on top of it, but that takes you getting really tough about it and cracking down on your children with their mobile phone use. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess you had um, John on last night, uh, last week. Um, last, yeah, last episode. So, last episode. Oh, he gave like lots that, of, I know, it goes so quick, it goes so quick, but he gave a lot of tips. 
and he really yeah. knocked down on parents about why. And if you listen to that episode and some of the stuff that I'm reading about the networks of offenders, the, the reason we have this conversation, the reason we do this talk is to bring about what's happening into reality, to make it real and to blow the stigma off this so we can have proper conversations about it. Um, and, and John gives us lots of good information. Christy's got shit loads of information in this. So go to her website and get yourself a copy. If you don't know how to talk. Thank you. Fucking buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Thanks, Kel. Thanks for the oh, plug. No, it's um, good. What I wanted to say, what I wanted to say about grooming is that um you know what I've seen in my experience with hundreds and hundreds maybe thousands of children of interviews is that when your child when your child knows what uh knows what grooming is or has protective behaviors education behind them which is one of the things that I recommend in my book and and it's highly recommended all over Australia is protective behaviors education and if you've never heard of it it's a framework where your child is being taught that they have the right to feel safe at all times and they can talk with, with someone about anything and there's body safety um guideline body safety included in that where we talk to them about safe and unsafe you know safe and unsafe secrets um you know inappropriate appropriate safe and unsafe touch you know all of these things that they're early warning signs. If you've never ever heard of early warning signs before, it's our gut feeling. We we as adults usually say, I you know, I feel it in my gut that this isn't all right. But our children interpret it differently. They will interpret it through butterflies in their tummy, sweating, you know, headaches, feeling sick, you know, shaking knees, whatever that is. But when your child knows that they what it is that they're feeling and they can voice it and, and share it with you, then they're able to you know, if they don't feel safe with someone, they're able to say something. But until then, most of our children don't don't know how to talk. You know, don't know how to share that. So mm. we teach them about early warning signs. We teach them about their safety network, which is you know, five adults. Hopefully, sometimes, sadly, when I was interviewing children, they could, couldn't even name one adult that they felt safe enough to disclose to. And sadly, in Australia, only one in three adults believe a child when they disclose child sexual abuse to them. And one of the things that I teach or have had to teach in the past is perseverance. So if you go to the first person and they don't um, do something to make you feel safe again, then you need to go to the next adult and the next adult until you find someone who does something. And we shouldn't have to teach children that. But, Kel, I, I can imagine all of the survivors you've spoken to, how many of them told an adult the first time and they were shut down and and they didn't tell anyone again for years and years and years because they knew that they, they were told they were a liar, they were told all of these things. So we need to change the um, the idea and, and the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? We need to change people's beliefs around children don't lie about this stuff. No. And uh, in the very rare cases that there's a, a child's being um, groomed to say something like this, there's a reason and it's not the child's, it's never the child's fault. So we need to ensure that our children know that they've got people that they can talk with about this stuff. And that includes, you know, they can talk to police and they can talk to the kids' helpline so that they've got safe people because sadly a lot of our young people don't feel like that they can come to parents. And also a lot of our kids, and they can be little tackers, you know, little, little kids, they're trying to protect their parents. 
they're trying to save their parents from hard, hardship, hardship and heartache. They don't want to get, they don't want their parents to hurt. So they will take on that abuse and continue to take on that abuse to protect their own parents. And that is not their job. So it's really important as adults that we, we protect our kids and we let them know that that is our job, our responsibility and role to protect them. It is never their job or role and that no adult should ever make them feel unsafe. It should never make them feel like they and should never make them keep secrets. And, you know, if they ever do anything inappropriate or, or touch them inappropriately in any of the private places, which includes the mouth, that they need to tell someone, they need to tell a safe adult that they feel safe they can talk to. I'm so pleased you said um, about protecting the family because that's what I did. And I don't really talk about it like that because it just doesn't come to my mind because it's such an intrinsic subconscious um, choice and you don't realise that you're doing it, but you think that by saying something and speaking up that you're going to hurt the people around you, that um, you're going to break up the family. You know, it's it's all the reasons that children, adults still, still uh, are scared to disclose and say what happened to them as children to the, to the people in their lives. And it's because they're afraid of those outcomes. And it often comes down to the grooming um, and the way that the groomings happened and the little subconscious, tiny little things that that groomer does in their general behaviour. So it's very subtle. It, it might just be little things like my uncle would, you know, help me. So we'd go down the dam for a walk, for example, and he'd open the fence, but he'd touch my bottom on the way through the fence. So it's little things like that. And the the little look that he would give me afterwards, that that was like our secret, right? So when we start to get into this grooming pattern it is so important to recognize what these things are but i i felt that if i said something there was this massive fear in my heart and i i it's so crippling and it goes back to that point um christy about the belief of those that the child discloses to because the amount of fucking courage it takes for that child to come forward and to share is like it is still for me now that, and I was 19 when I actually got, you know, actually was able to disclose for that child to actually disclose it. It is the most, one of the most single courageous things that they could possibly do in their entire life. I still think, and I've taken on, I'll say big hairy dudes in dark alleyways. You know, I've had some dude come up with a, a baseball bat and um, in one hand and a sledgehammer in the other, right? But that still wasn't as scary as the moment I had to tell my parents that my uncle had been sexually abusing me. So I think um, don't. I think with regards to that, if you, it, it, the reason why it's such a hard thing to do is because you don't actually, um, you aren't sure of the person who's going to receive it, whether they're going to receive it, and and believe you and because like you said the grooming is so they're so proficient at making you doubt yourself making your family doubt you or they make you they say things like if you if you i'll go to prison if you tell anyone i'll go to jail if you tell anyone i'll get in trouble your mum and dad will won't won't love you anymore like what everything that they say groomers say is in order for them to keep a child under their control and and not say something yeah. And, and the thing is, is that what our job as parents is, and it's something that I'm really passionate about, is to 
to be un, uh, to to have a relationship with our children that they can come to you about anything and you will never they, they're never to blame you know yes there's always going to be repercussions and consequences for you know things that we, they might have stuffed up or might have done but when it comes to this stuff it is never a child's fault and it's and you said it beautifully before if you're a parent and and someone is grooming you and your children it is not your fault either it is not your fault either and so i i think it's really important that we you know learn about it talk about it and share it with our kids and with our families mm -hmm. and I, challenge I, people yeah and, I, and i'm just going to add and i say this with all the love in my heart as soon as you know something is happening you then have a responsibility to do something. And, yes. you know, it's, I understand when you're afraid and you're scared to step out of that space because I know that there's many that are suspicious or not sure. Uh, and I've had many people reach out and often I don't even have the capacity sometimes to help the people that ask for my help. And I apologize for that, but I'm just a human, you know? Um, and it's, it's tough because I recognise um, how hard it is to break that silence when you've been groomed. But if you're a parent of a child, you must, as soon as you know, you have a responsibility to step up and say something. There's so many survivors um, who, even as adults, are now still too scared to disclose because of how they weren't listened or weren't believed when they were children. And so they're holding on to these secrets as adults and that's not okay either. You know, even no. as adults, when we're trying to speak about this stuff, we, we don't feel like adults. We feel like that little child that uh, was let down. And um, if that's you and, and you're a survivor who's an adult, who's never shared your story, I just, I, I just want to say, I love you and I see you because I know exactly what that feels like. Um, so. Well, usually, usually it's easier <laughs> Well, and I'm the same, Kel, like I have people disclosing to me for the first time and it's usually because we're safe strangers, right? Yeah. We believe we're safe strangers to someone who's not able to go to their family because when you dis when a child discloses, like when a child discloses, it implodes the whole family. Yeah. It, can, it can implode the whole family. It can create huge amount of chaos. It can create huge amount of shame and blame. All of the things are going on in the background a child feels that a child knows that and so um you know, they usually my, feel responsible the, for it just to add yeah they feel like it's yeah, that exactly yeah. exactly and um and one of the things i do want to mention about disclosures is that quite often i had young people young children come to me and it was it was a there was evidence or there was suspicion that they had been abused but when they came to me and sat down with me, they didn't disclose the first time and it would usually take time before bet between the disclosure and, and getting into a more safer space, then they would come back and they would disclose. And, and the reason for that is, is a child won't disclose abuse unless they feel safe. 100%. Generally, 90% 90 of the time, they're not going to disclose until they feel safe, until they know that it's not going to have repercussions when they go home. They're not going to be put back with the abuser. They're not going, you know, so, the, you know, you think if you're a little person, you're like, let's put our mind back to being kids, right, and how little we control we have over our environment, how little control we have over at what happens to us. You're like, I think about my seven-year-old self and I had no control over who was in my life, 
what happened, where I went. So if you think about it from the perspective of our kids, if they don't feel safe, they're not going to say anything, no matter how much we tell them that it's okay for them to do so. So that was one of the biggest, saddest things that happened when I was sitting across the table. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what happens in a child interview, it's me and another child with a camera. And I'm sitting there and I'm asking them questions to enable, and, and this is what happens in all, not all child, child abuse interviews, but a lot of them. You know, I'm there trying to get evidence and I'm not allowed to lead questions. I, I, you know, it has to be, tell me about when you, you know, explain to me what happened when this happened. You know, I'm not allowed to tell me more about know, lead them. Tell me more about that if they tell me something, you know, and I'm not allowed to lead questions because it means that, you know, that evidence can be thrown out in court. And it's really important that we get the best evidence we can for your child. Now, one of the reasons, one of the things that happens is, is if they're not comfortable with their body parts, if they're not comfortable saying penis, vagina, testicles, whatever, then we sometimes can't get a full disclosure about what happened to them. And, and it creates, you know, that little bit of, um, you know, confusion for the defence to be able to say, well, did it really happen? So one, that's another really important tool for parents is to teach full body and autonomy to their anatomy, sorry, full body autonomy and anatomy to their children because we want them to be able to confidently talk about them, their body parts when it happens. And it actually puts predators off anyway because they, when they can't trick kids into stuff, especially little kids, you know, that helps as well. So, yeah. 100%. yeah. I think um, let's just talk about uh briefly like some of the signs uh big red flags to look for um and i think probably the first thing is gift giving yep that's Um, definitely one yeah so things to look out for to see if your child is is potentially being groomed um we've already mentioned uh the isolation part them wanting to spend time on their own yeah, time on their own with the perpetrator. Um, and, look, there's even a guilt about that, right? Like confusion about why do they want to spend all this time with me? Like, I, oh, God, I could talk about this for hours because this is like I was so badly groomed. That's that's the story. That's my story. Um, so all these things when I actually became an adult and I was looking at grooming, I was like, holy shit, right? We got done. We got done really. All of us did. So, um, but yeah, he would just give me so the few that and stuff and like little extra yep. eggs and um, I, I, you know, my aunt <laughs> would have to sit in the back seat. I got to sit in the front seat. That's, that's not a sign. Then I don't know what is. So, <laughs> your special girl, the special. You're my special girl. You know. Um, like you find one of the things that like I've got a list that I usually share and it's like you find like find an adult in a room behind a closed door with a child like tell me why any adult needs to be in a in a like a private room behind a closed door that's a red flag to me there's no need for secrecy it's a big red flag um they're very secretive about their devices phones and mobile phones and stuff like that because we know that um we know that child sexual sex predators and people who are attracted to children are going to most likely be accessing child sexual abuse material. 
and they might have photos and, and information on their phone that is going to um, be evidence for that abuse. So they're very secretive. They're not going to give away passwords and, and they're not going to let you look at it. And I, I have many, ever, many um, occasions, you know, cases I've worked on where the, the wife wasn't able to come near the, the phone or, the aunt, you know, whatever family members, they, were, they would slam down their laptop as soon as anyone got close kind of thing. Um, they stay up late at night. And yes. you'd say, well, what's that, what's that got to do with anything? But they stay up late at night because, first of all, they're, seeing, they're accessing stuff that they shouldn't be accessing and they're also accessing people that they shouldn't be accessing. And quite a lot of abuse when it was done with, by intrafamilial or, you know, relatives or friends was done very late at night when everyone else was asleep. Um, they find ways to get children naked or semi-naked. So showering with children, um, you know, getting them to strip off hosing them down in the backyard, that sort of thing. And we, like, on one occasion might be because they've gotten dirty, not so bad. But if you're one of my cases and it's written in my book was, you know, the abuser was getting the, every time the person went out, he was in the shower with the, the child when she got home. So, you know, like, it, that is a very big red flag. You've already pointed out special trips, going places with the child, having them alone, you know, um, and one of the things that I don't think we talk about enough, and I've actually posted about this on my social media, is every child sexual abuser that I ever arrested and ever investigated had massive pornography um, collections. So anyone that's paying for pornography has, you know, pretty bad pornography like bestiality or any kind of really aggressive pornography. That is usually in is is a lead up or is because they can't when they can't access children they're going to use pornography to get it's it fills the void for them so anyone who has massive pornography problems that's another red flag for me um add yours to it if you've got any more oh just it's it's just inappropriate boundaries i think and, and like you said that about that shower example um and, and there's no reason to have the door shut you know and so having really healthy boundaries like the, the reason I still probably don't sleep, and, and I, I mean, this is me being theoretical about it, is my bed has become an unsafe place since I was a child, right? And so the child's bed should feel like bedtime. So no phones, right? You go to bed so you can rest and sleep and feel safe. And that bed needs to feel safe. And, you know, when our boundaries are violated and those spaces become unsafe, it means, you know, we're hypervigilant, you know, like that that child is never going to be able to shower and feel safe again, you know. So, yeah. you know, for me, I have a shower and it's like, oh, God, I can wash the day off. But if that hadn't yeah. been my experience, I don't know that that would feel the same anymore. So where yeah. you can't heal in the environment that you were abused in. So it's about making sure that safe there's safe places in your home. Your home should be a safe place. And, you know, that we're really enforcing that, you know, the toilet door should be shut when, you know, if a child's really small, that's yep. different, but shut the toilet door because, you know, that changes yeah. like boundaries and things like that. And I, I get really frustrated with very open families and, and, you know, each to their own, but it becomes problematic when someone in the family is grooming. So if you're an adult and you're yeah. going to the toilet in front of an adult child or, you know, a teenage child, I, I just... To me, that's, I don't know, that, that bothers me because obviously because of my yeah. experience, but it's it's just those healthy boundaries within the home, um, yeah. you know, 
And Can I make mention of one? Yeah, go, go, please do. One of the one, one of the big things that's like um, poked up for me when I was when my daughter was little, especially, is if people didn't respect her no. So yeah. if she said no, stop it, whatever, and adults continued, I'm not saying that's a red flag, but as adults and parents, we should be, uh, you know, we should be showing and 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 making it so that no means no. So yeah. when your child says, no, I don't want you to tickle me, no, I don't want you, to, want you to touch me like that, no, I don't want a hug, then by, you know, we should be modelling that no means no, we respect that no. And yeah. in the cases of, you know, those unsafe boundaries or those, those lack of boundaries, you know, the people around your child that doesn't listen to them when they say no, well, you know, just maybe stick up for your kid and help them, help them you know enforce that boundary and I've had to do that with family members I'm like she said no she doesn't want to play like that anymore stop yeah, like yeah. you need to respect that and and that's just me being a protective parent I think no well yeah it's true but it's actually really important and particularly those who well we're going to have an episode a very special episode um about why christmas is different for everybody uh and I'm going to get a panel of survivors about what holidays look like and a little bit about kind of what we're talking about now because um it's often you know children who've been abused by familial perpetrators or whatever uh uncles aunts cousins whatever that might be we catch up with these people every holidays right and they come around to the house and as soon as they come in it's like oh give auntie a cuddle give uncle a cuddle give granddad a kiss like and the child's got this fear and knows that you know potentially that something's going to happen and so we're making that child then you know interact interact with that perpetrator by forcing it to do something that that potentially they don't want so you know we don't always know and see this stuff we just kind of expect that oh you know we've got to give granddad a cut because we feel obligated but yeah you know had had i this education that i had now like and that's what i would be teaching my children you know, and yeah. my sister does it really beautifully with her nephews and, um, you know, it's like I, I now when I walk in, they come running out and give me a hug, but sometimes they don't because I don't feel like it. I'm like, can I have a hug? So I ask for consent. And it's just really lovely because they own their body. They know what they need to say. Uh, they know all the body parts, you know, and it's just, it makes me really proud because I'm like, yeah, I'm like, psycho <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's so many good things. There's so many good books out there. Um, There's so many good. So for any parents that are listening and they're confused and they're worried and they're scared, believe me when I say in the last 15 years since I had my daughter, there is so much more out there. There's some wonderful books from um, Janine Sanders who writes uh, from uh, Educate to Empower Publishing she was, she's written books about consent and they're all for little kids as well. You know, there's there's great programs out there. Your children should be doing protective behaviours education in school, um, you know, and, and educating yourself about protective behaviours as well, like 100%. I've written about it in my book, but there's amazing programs out there as well. You know, like it's okay. And just, you know, to one thing I'd want to mention before the end of this, we're not just... Um, you know, 30 to 50% of all child sexual abuse is actually also done by other children. So we don't call, um, we don't generally call it, it is considered child sexual abuse in, you know, in policing, but it's also, it's considered as harmful sexualized behaviors. So, you know, 
harmful sexualized behaviors all of our kids we're all sexual beings and we're all growing up and we're we're all um, learning and ex- and experiencing the world but when it becomes harmful is when there's a lack of consent when um, there's a power imbalance when children are doing things that aren't age appropriate so what we need to ensure is that we you know we also need to remember that our kids sometimes can harm other you know be part of the the abuse as well or be abused by other children and that's something that we don't talk enough about and maybe it's another segment for your show one day yeah it's on the list don't worry early next year it's on the list yeah early next year we're going to talk about sibling um sexual abuse and harmful sexual behaviors uh with dr deirdre thompson from um brave hearts and i've got some researchers lined up as well so lots of exciting things to come um in relation to that because it is a massive problem and it's something we don't talk about we don't want to think about our children um sexually abusing or harming another child but it's very prolific um and a lot of it is because again boundaries we've also got mobile phones we've got access and again john said it access is key and that's what we need to be really mindful of so um one thing i tell parents all the time because they're like kel how do i stop this how do i make sure that this doesn't happen and the only solid answer i can really give because perpetrators are cunning and they're manipulative and they will do what they need to do to get access to children sometimes you can't do anything and it just happens but the more empowered that you can make your child the more that you can give them a language around what's happening. Because I didn't have a language around what's happening. So what Christy's saying about protective behaviours and body autonomy, you might roll your eyes at it and go, oh, my God, I'm not talking about that shit with my child. Fucking have the conversation because if that child, what? okay, here's the thing. Would you rather, right, would you rather, are you ready? Would you rather have a conversation about your child being abused after the fact or have the conversation beforehand so that they're really empowered and can say no, or if something does happen, they can come to you and say, hey, this happened, they can clearly disclose, they know what's happened, it makes the court process easier, it makes cross-examination easier, and if you don't know about that, please go back and watch the episode with um, the Millthorpe family, you've got two episodes there, you've got Pippa and Rose, and you've got their family, their parents, um, talk about their experience going through court you do not want to have your child go through court so do what you can to prevent it in the first instance the thing that I say to parents is your connection to your child is the greatest preventative tool that you can have you can do all the education in the world whatever but if you don't know your child and you don't know their behavior you are not going to recognize when it changes you are not going to see the subtle changes in behaviour, the attitude and that sort of stuff, you have to have that connection. And as you said, Christy, be able to say, have that child come to you openly and say what they need to say and feel safe. The key is feeling safe to have that conversation with you. If you yell and scream at your kid because they come to you and they've said this awful thing has happened to them, I guarantee you that child will never speak to you again about it. They won't speak to anyone. So they're going to have this secret burning inside yeah. them and that's not okay it is 98 percent of children who disclose abuse are telling the truth that is the statistic okay and as christy said on the rare occasion that um a child lies it's usually because of some custody issue they've been coached or something like that okay so please fucking believe your kids if they disclose um make safe spaces for conversations to happen believe your children um i don't know christy what i add to that yeah, go Can ahead. I add to that? 
Um, so when, in all of the in all of the children that I interviewed and all of the people that I interviewed, um, first of all, you pointed out that um, would you rather have the conversation? <laughs> you're, you're passionate. Um, would you rather have the conversation after the fact or you know before, right? All of the very loving parents that brought their kids to me and I interviewed their children and I sat through them telling me what happened to them. All of the parents had so much regret, so much regret that they didn't see the signs, that they didn't know what to look out for, that they, you know, didn't whatever, right? The second thing to that is is that the children who had protective behaviours education had safe homes to, or a safe, your, own, your child only needs one safe person, so be that one safe person, had a safe person to talk to and had protective behaviours education. When something did happen, they alerted the safe person straight away or, or very quickly and the abuse was reduced, the harm was reduced. So the kids that usually end up with years and years and years of abuse are the ones that don't have the knowledge, the language, they don't have the education around protective behaviours and body safety and they don't have safe people to talk to. They're the ones that are left with years of neglect, abuse and, and whatnot. The ones that do have that are the ones that if it does happen, first of all, it's less likely to happen to them and because I tell you what, predators and abusers don't want those children because they know they're going to speak up. And second of all, that it's when they when it does happen, they're faster to report and then it stops. So tell me which one you want. I think you want the, the one where your kids are, have got a greater risk, greater, uh, you know, greater chance of being abuse free as an adults. And to, to round off this conversation, Kel, one of the things that I know once of talking to kids, but then also talking to adults is that we know that Victims of child sexual abuse um, have a higher rate of suicide, higher rate of self-harm, higher rate of abu uh, uh, further abuse in adulthood, higher rate of, um, you know, there's, there was a study came out just a couple of months ago, I, I think it was Monash maybe, um, that said that they had a 5.85% chance of dying in middle age, more likely than anyone else, 12 point something times more higher rate of, um, you know, of dying due to cancer and other things you know so child sexual abuse is not only a problem for your child in childhood it will be a problem for them for the rest of their lives and not just it's not a problem but they are going to have to survive it and yeah. Kel you're a survivor and you know all about this and it's not yeah. easy and that's, and that's yeah that's holding on to the trauma guys that's not having the that early intervention that Christy's talking about, and by having that early intervention means you can have the strategies and the tools. If you are abused or you've you know, had an abuse experience, if you're able to disclose quickly, you can learn the strategies to cope and have power over your experience rather than it having power over you for the rest of your life. Because holding on to the secrets, as Gabo Mate says, if you um, holding on to the pain basically creates more pain. Right, yeah. and it does. It comes out in your body, and and it comes out in sickness and all those types of things. So, you know, it 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 pays to have the right people in your network, and I talk about that all the time. So, um, just to close off, so a couple of things. Is it just one question that we're going to answer really quickly, um, and then I'm I'm going to drop some links in, guys, for you. So, um, there's a question here about advice on picking schools and daycares um, for your child, and it's, it's a very important question, particularly um, the media has promoted, uh, and rightfully so, we should know about what's going on in daycare centres and things like that. 
but I want to say that that's the minority. Like, yes, the 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 thing is that um, most, well, actually, every single daycare center would have stringent um, procedures and and all that sort of stuff. But it, it's like police, okay? Every police officer I've ever met is a good egg, right? But there's a couple of people. Percentage-wise, you're gonna have there's a risk, right? So it doesn't matter what you do, you cannot avoid every single bad person in the world. Um, so some things you can ask if you're concerned and fill in the gaps for me, Christy, if I miss something. But sure. every childcare centre should have policies and procedures around child protection. They should have all got blue cards um, in Queensland or in other Working states. with children checks. Yeah, working with children checks and those the equivalent of, okay? So that means that they've done a check, they've got no previous history uh, and that sort of stuff. But no previous history doesn't, doesn't mean, mean no previous yeah. okay? So that's that's the thing. And, you know, there's lots of home daycares and all that sort of stuff. So it, it's really up to you what you want to do. But um, our childcare workers and our teachers and staff in schools work really, really hard you know, it's it's the 1% that are going to fall through the gaps in those industries and organisations. Um, but they should all have stringent policies and practices around child protection and child protection reporting procedures. So I will add any- to that. Yeah, I will yep. add to that that we always hear it, right, when someone, you know, there's a report and, oh, that was such a good person and they... Oh, that could they could never do that. They were, you know, whatever. Yeah. This is the this is the this is the groomer's mo. This is what they want you to believe, right? But yeah, Kel, Kel's, Kel's right in saying, you know, there's a one percent in every industry, but we do know through science, through our research, and through things, people who are attracted to children and uh, have a two point seven five times more likely to find jobs that are, are with children. That's because they're attracted to them. So they're going to work in those industries like childcare teachers, um, even doctors, even nurses, even police, even wherever they can be known as someone who is because they want to be the people that are uh, in charge of children and an authority and they want to be trusted and access. So, guys, I think we need to just remember the behaviours that we're looking out for, those unsafe behaviours. It doesn't matter who they are in your life. Just keep an eye on those unsafe behaviours. 100%. Um, Guys, so if you want to order, I know there was someone who had asked where they could get Christie's book from. Um, You can go to her website or Amazon. Yeah, you can can go to my website. Order from her website because if you go to Amazon, she's not going to get like a dollar from it. So go to her website and order. I will add, um, my website goes to Amazon now because I've run out of copies in my my. So, um, so order. Uh, you can either order from Amazon. I actually narrated it. It's in audiobook as well. Um, oh, so, yeah, it's on Audible, so you can get listen to me tell you all about this stuff. Or um, but for busy parents, I found that really easy. So, yeah, it's on Spotify and Audible. I love it. Um, and just really quickly, guys. So, um, if you are a survivor of child sexual abuse, I've written a free ebook. So. Please make sure you download that. Um, there's eight cycle breaking strategies in there. Uh, part of that is um, in the lead up to my course, Foundations for Freedom, which is just, uh, I, I just want to say I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, 
<laughs> no, it's it's great. I'm actually really excited and I can't wait to get it out. I've got three more modules to record, guys. So um, it's it's coming. I, I promise you. It's there's not a lot out there for us adult survivors um, to get help and get the healing that we need. But this is very targeted, very specific for those who've experienced child sexual abuse. So please download uh, a copy of that, and um, uh, you'll be able to get that in your inbox straight away. So, um, guys, we're at the end. Christy, thank you so much for um, that was just a really, really amazing conversation. Very oh, informative. Um, I think I'm going to have to get you back for uh, child interviewing stuff. We'll, we'll have a conversation about that. So um, sure. thank you, guys. Next week we've got um, the amazing guys from Your Reference Ain't Relevant, so Harrison James and Jared Grice. It's going to be an amazing episode um, to talk to two incredible young men drivers. Yep, um, very passionate and taking on the court system to remove, and I might get this wrong, but to remove the credibility that perpetrators have by having their references and, and good character being brought about in sentencing to reduce their sentencing. So I'm very passionate about that myself. The sentencing remarks, I think, for me, were some of the hardest to read um, about my own case. So I I think your reference definitely isn't relevant. So I can't wait to chat with them next week. Um, so we'll look forward to that. And we've got a special Christmas episode coming up um, once I get that organised. So stay tuned for dates and times. And thank you again for being part of Off the Cuff. Thank you, Christy, and we'll see you guys again soon. Thank you. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for being part of Off the Cuff with Kel. Breaking cycles of abuse and trauma is not something that can be done alone and requires all of us working together. Your support makes a huge difference. If you've found the content of this podcast valuable, you can support my work through my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. You can also find me on all major social media platforms. Through my website, kellyhumphreys.com, you can contact me for speaking in workshops as well as purchase my first book, Unscathed Beauty. If you found any of the content today distressing, please reach out to appropriate support agencies in your country. For emergencies, contact your local law enforcement agency.